0: Um, I want to pray we're going to be getting back into Revelation 11, or excuse me, um, Romans 11. We are going to get a little revelation in this morning, and um, I, w- I want to talk seriously about the church. Um, you-, you can plug in any church's name, this one included, and, uh, and what, what, what is the relationship of a, of a church to uh, the, the Spirit of God, the dependency of a church on the Spirit of God? Uh, I want to ask that question. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, come together, I just want to start by uh, saying thank you for this opportunity. I consider it a privilege, uh, especially today when so many things are being shut down, to be able to come together uh, without fear, open up your word, and Lord, ask you to speak into us, and we're going to ask that. Lord, uh, be with us this morning as we open up uh, uh, Romans 11. And really kind of wrestle with what happens too easily in churches. And, uh, and think about what it means. Lord, uh, be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. Amen. What is the most important piece of furniture in a church? What is the most important piece of furniture in a church? Pastor asked a group of people that question one time. And uh, you got all kinds of answers that uh, started to come out. Some people said the pews. These are the most important uh, piece of furniture in the church because you need to have uh, that big thick padding and of course the drink holders and uh, uh, that kind of thing before we can actually stay awake and listen to that guy uh, up there preach. The person said, no, no, it's, it's not that. The most important piece of furniture uh, in the church is the eternal lamp, the eternal lamp. You guys ever notice the eternal lamp in a, in a church? Uh, When I was a kid those things used to be candles people would light those candles and uh, They would make sure they stay lit. I don't know how they did that You know two in the two in the morning if it goes out your church is toast you're in trouble so uh, I I Think it was as Pat here I think it was the secretary's duty to get up at 2 in the morning and go over there (laughs) Go over there and get that candle lit nowadays. They have electric uh, electric or gas run uh, eternal candles just to make sure that thing stays lit, so it is no no no, no the most important um, the most important piece of furniture in a church is the organ you have to have an organ that plays beautiful hymns. Um, what if I told you today it is none of the above. It is the lamp stand the lamp stand. What am I talking about? I want to start this morning with a thought that uh, you, you may or may not be familiar with, but it really resides in me. It really lives in me. And um, I want to start with this thought just to put, put Romans 11 back into context. And I was trying to think about this yesterday, and this word of God came to me from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And remember with me what's happening when the Revelation is being written, is um, John is on Patmos, he's, in, he's a prisoner, <coughs> And he's speaking to the, the church throughout Asia Minor. And he begins the Revelation with seven different, what we call them, cyclical letters, letters that would be spread from church to church to church to church and read out loud so that the people of God could, could hear his words. And John was concerned, very concerned, that the church already, remember remember Revelation is written, uh, it's a, it's the last book in the Bible intentionally, because it's it's written towards the end of the first century. Uh, persecution is now uh, a little bit more more um, prominent. and And testimony to that is John himself, who the Romans wanted to kill. They did want to kill him, but they knew if we kill him, the people will turn him into a martyr and we'll have more problems. So leave him alive put him on this island, and while he's on the island, of course, Jesus comes to John, and he begins to write these, these letters. Um, sometimes when you read the letters, they're, they're, the name of the church is, is actually specified. So Revelation chapter 2 actually begins uh, with, with his words to the church in Ephesus, and, and yet all seven of the letters that are written to the churches apply to all of the churches in and throughout Asia Minor. This one in particular, is the first letter. And in particular, it has resided in me for many years. I want you just to listen to these words uh, and kind of think about them with me again. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. An angel, uh, again the Greek term angelos would be messenger. So literally we would say I'm writing this letter to the pastor of the church in Ephesus. I want you to hear my words. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden. Dear, are you ready for this? Lampstands. There it is. These are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his hands and walks amongst the lampstands. Remember, in the Old Testament, the lampstand represented two different things. It had seven arms and seven candles. The Old Testament people did not necessarily recognize this, but the numerology is significant in that seven always represents three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, plus four, the four corners of the world. When God comes into the world incarnate, his name is Jesus Christ. And so all along, this this candle stand that's standing in the middle of the the temple is pointing forward to Jesus Christ, who becomes the ultimate sacrifice for sin. So it represents the presence of Jesus Christ, and the lampstand also represents what gives the church its power. It was fueled by what? Oil. In the Old Testament, what did oil signify? Presence of the Spirit of God. In other words, here is here is this picture of God holding the 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 seven stars in his in his hands. He's holding these churches in his hand, and he's walking amongst the lampstands. He's walking through the churches, and he's asking the question: Is the Spirit present? Is the Spirit present? Now, kind of listen to this. He says, "I know your works. I know your toil." And your patient endurance. How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and they are not. Man, that's part of the church's work. Um, you know, today we're going to talk about in us our, in our worship service. We're going to talk about a subject that's not so popular in our world, sin. Talk about sin. And it strikes me that part of the work of the church today is to say how in the world are there churches in America today who have removed hell from the Bible? And somehow tell people, look, as long as you, as long as you, you, you believe in Jesus and, and as long as you try to live a good life, you're going to heaven. No, the Bible talks about heaven and hell. And so part of our work is this, you test, you test what is being said against the true word of God. And, John is actually commending the church in Ephesus for that. He says, I know that you're you're patiently enduring and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Uh, He's talking to the church in Ephesus. If you've never been to Ephesus, that's modern day Turkey. Um, I think, I think that uh, uh, of all the the different churches that I've got to walk through, uh, as we looked at the New Testament churches throughout Rome and Asia Minor, the church in Ephesus was probably the biggest. Of all of them, a uh, sizable, a sizable place. Also, it was a it was a place where there was a, a, a lot of idolatry that was being uh, practiced, and so you can you can understand that by the time we get into the end of the first century, uh, and the Christians are standing against idolatry, they're being persecuted, they're being killed, and John says, you know what? you, you have not, you've not folded your tents. You're enduring. Part of being a Christian means. We will stand up to those who stand against us, and, uh, and we will love those who persecute us. Um, just a small, small image from, from television last night. Uh, most of you have heard of this incident where this, uh, this person decided to shoot two police officers, and they actually ca- captured it on film. This person going up to a police car, boom, boom, shoots. Him. They put the officers in a hospital And so now you have some police officers standing out in front of the hospital. And can you believe this, that that a group of people come to the hospital to mock mock the police men and women that are in the hospital. And so they're standing out in front of the hospital saying this, I hope they die. Let those police die. In the first century, Christians stood together and they heard people curse them. Let those Christians die. And Jesus said, of your persecutors, love them. Love them. Pray for their souls. Seek to bring me into their lives. And so what John is saying is, Jesus is walking through the church. Where is your strength? Where is your power? Because here's what needs to happen. In the face of people that have have taken the Bible and turned it into a a fairy fairy tale book, and in the face of people who are persecuting the church, you're standing strong. He's commending the church in Ephesus for that. But now I want you to hear how this word turns. He says, um, but, and man, that's a word we do not want to hear Jesus say, but but I have this against you. In your quietest moments with God, there will be times when Jesus lovingly says to you, Luke, oh, I've been watching you, boy. I love this about you, I love this about you, but I have this against you. I don't want to hear those words, but they come and they're not words, there aren't words that are meant to, to destroy, they're words that are meant to turn me back to what my calling is. And so that's what John is doing here through Jesus. Is but I have this against you, you've abandoned the love that you first had. You used to be in love with Jesus. You're in love with him. You know what happens when you're in love with someone? You, you, nothing, nothing costs too much, right? There's nothing you wouldn't pour time into. There's no moment when you wouldn't say, yes, I'll drop this and come. You still love me. You've lost that. He says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen from. Repent. Here's the word. Repent. Be broken over that. And do the works you did at first. And if you will not. Now, this is what I want you to hear. If you will not. Listen to this. If you will not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What is he really saying? It's not a piece of furniture, is it? He's saying that if you continue in your ways, no longer in love with me. Yeah, you're doing some good things, but you're no longer in love with me. You're not dependent upon the spirit of God. Here's what I'll come and do. I'll remove I'll remove my lampstand from its place. I want you to answer a question for me, just in your own in your own mind answer this today. Have you ever walked into a church and found yourself saying, hey, here's this church and it has beautiful pews, softest pews I ever sat in, has gorgeous organ. I've never heard an organ quite like that. It, it has a, look at that pulpit, it's, it's carved pulpit, has a beautiful pulpit, look at that altar. Man, that's got the, that is the best baptism font I've ever seen. There's no spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit? It's dead. And you know it and you say to yourself what happened to this church and this is what's happened is they have let go of their dependency upon god and have instead become dependent upon themselves and what god does when that happens is god says i'm not going to just leave you in that state i'm going to come to you and i'm going to call you to return to me now turn to romans 11. when you turn to romans 11 jesus is really speaking through paul to the church of his time to the jewish church of his time and he's saying pretty much the same thing that john spoke when he spoke these words to revelation in revelation 2. he's reminding the the church of of israel the, the jewish church that they have lost their first love that they are not depending upon god and his promises that they have missed who jesus christ is and he's saying, I am going to remove your lampstand. This is hard words. I want you just to read them the way that, the way that Paul uh, speaks this. We're in Romans 11, beginning verse 7. He says, what then? What happened to the Jews? What happened to them? He says, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Now, the elect obtained it. So always remember that when you, see, you hear the word Israel, we're talking about... <clears throat> Physical bloodline Jews, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. What was it seeking? The Messiah. It's been seeking the Messiah for a long time through its prophets, through its promises. It failed to obtain it. Why? Well, here comes the answer. He says the elect, the elect obtained it. A small group of of, of the Israelites obtained it, but the rest—these are hard words—were hardened as it is written. Okay? Uh, when we talk about hardening, I, I'm, this is why I'm contextualizing this with, with Revelation chapter two. We're talking about a God who is intentionally removing his lampstand from the church in order to call the church back to him. Right. So here's, here's the way he says it. He quotes actually from uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 29. And he speaks these words, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. Just as David says. Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. What's happening here? Well, we're at that point in this letter to uh, the church in, in Rome where Paul is trying to explain what happened to the Old Testament church, what happened to the Jews. And he's saying, here's what's happened, is the Jews fell away from Jesus Christ. God came and said, you know what, I'm calling you back to me. And I've called you back to me. And I've called you back to me. And you come back to me and you leave me again. And you come back to me and you leave me again. Here's what I'm doing today. I'm taking your lampstand and I am removing it. I'm going to harden you. And God actually hardens the Jews so that they don't see who Jesus is and they don't hear the promises uh, of the prophet. God is the one who is now actually doing is doing the, the hardening. Um, I think it's significant that you pick up what this looks like uh, in the verses that are quoted here back in the words of the prophet uh, Isaiah. Um, I'm going to ask you just to turn there with me to Isaiah chapter 29 and, and I think I think between, uh, the first 16 verses of 29 and then the first 8 verses of, of Isaiah chapter 30, you really kind of get a picture of what is, is going on here. Um, remember that Isaiah is writing to Israel at a time when they did what? They, they abandoned their love for God. During this period of time, God takes their lampstand from them and sends Babylon against them. God does that. To try to bring Israel back to himself. And so when you read Isaiah chapter 29, you're really really beginning to read this story of what what it looks like for God to harden a people. Uh, Here here, here are some words I just want you to kind of pick up on uh, from Isaiah chapter chapter 29. Uh, Just start with me verse verse 1. We'll skip around just a little bit. In the time of Isaiah, he says, Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped. Add year to year. Let the feasts run their round. You're going through the motions. You're having church. You're doing the things that you've always done. But I'm not in it. You've lost me. So what am I going to do? Verse 2, yet I will distress Ariel. Ariel here is, is pointing to what? To Israel. I will distress Ariel. And there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel, and I will acamp against you all around and besiege you with towers. Imagine being the church and God saying to you, hey, Peace Lutheran Church, I'm going to besiege you, and I'm going to stand around you, with towers, and I'm going to rage siege works against you and bring you low. I think think that the council would probably need to have some kind of a, don't you, Linda? We'd have to have some kind of meeting and be like, uh, those words don't sound good. Why would God come against his own people? Why would God come against his own people? He does. Not because he hates you, but because he wants to call you back. When you lose the lampstand, when you lose your dependence upon, dependency upon him, what does God do? He tries to work to bring you back. Uh, go to verse five, the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless, like passing chafe, and in an instant, suddenly, you'll be visited by the Lord of hosts, and thunder, and with an earthquake, and a great, great noise, and with a whirlwind, and a tempest, and a flame of devouring fire, and California is burning. We can smell it all the way here, can't we? And what do we say? It's the funniest thing in the world. A governor of a state who has been educated by the state stands in a fire. I mean, there's fire burning around. And this educated man looks into the cameras on television and says, oh, I'll tell you what all this is. This is global warming. My first instinct is to say to him, "Uh, sir, this is a fire that someone lit, all right? So it's not global warming. Somebody lit your your place on fire, and I think they might have lit your your medical marijuana fields on fire because you people sound crazy. What are you breathing in this place, right? This is global warming. No, it's not global warming. Now, you get a Trump... and and a Biden kind of going back and forth between each other. Trump, science doesn't know. Yeah, no, science knows. I want to stand up and say, all of you be quiet. Just be quiet. You know why the earth's on fire? You know why we're going through the hard things that we're going through? Read this book. Why does no one read this book? God says right here, I'll bring earthquakes. Uh, What did we just have in California this week? I'll bring fires. Uh, What do we have going on? What, what, what are you, you going to bring it? Why are you doing this to us, God? Because I need you to depend upon me. And if you will not, I will remove the lampstand from its place. All God is trying to do is bring people back to himself. That's all God is trying to do right now. The earth is screaming out loud. Please, people, this isn't about science, this isn't about election. This is about a group of people saying, We acknowledge you, God. You are God. We acknowledge you as God and we fear you and we bow before you as our God. We desire you. We need you. This is what Isaiah is saying in the time when the Israelites thought, oh no, we're fine. We're good. Uh, we've got we've got our temple. Everything is going well. We do our festivals. And God says, no, you have grown distant from me and I will come and remove the lampstand from its place. Go all the way back over to Romans. And here's what's happening is The the lampstand is being removed from the Jewish church, and now what begins to happen is God says, "I am going to now take the gospel to people who will hear." And you know who will hear? The Gentiles. The Gentiles will hear. They'll listen. And I'm going to take take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul is calling the church to do that. Right? Our ministry now we 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 spend a lot of time focused on the on the Jewish church. They're not listening. In fact, it's gotten to the point where God has said, look, I'm going to harden them. They're not even going to listen to you. We're going to take the gospel now to the Gentile church where it will be heard. And guess what? Then we're going to use the Gentile church to try to make the Jewish church jealous. To try to bring them back. Okay, watch how this happens. Go to to verse 11. So I ask. I'm going to ask this question, Paul says. Did they, namely the Jewish church, stumble in order that they may fall? By no means. In other words, are you saying that, are you trying to say that because the Jewish church has abandoned Jesus Christ, that they've fallen so far that they're not redeemable? Oh, by no means. There are some who will listen. But now, the ones who we know will listen are the Gentiles, and that's who we're going to take the gospel to. So he he follows up. He says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has now come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? In other words, there is still hope for, for people that are Jewish. Uh, but their hope lay only in Jesus Christ. And now, as we take the gospel to the Gentiles, our goal is to uh, try to bring try to bring back the zealousness, that first love that my my church used to have. We're trying to bring that back. I'm going to use an illustration here that I, I hope works. Uh, I was thinking about this. How does this apply? You know, I can see how it applies in the time of Paul. Paul's talking to He's talking to the Jewish church. He's talking to the Gentiles. We're going we're to raise up the gospel here amongst the Gentiles. But how does it apply to the American church, to us today? Kind of an interesting question. I've written four, the names of four countries up here today. And um, if I were to ask you today, where is Christianity really growing? Like if we had to pinpoint the place in the world where Christianity is growing faster than anywhere else. Where would that be? Would it be in Iran? Uh, would it be in the Sudan? Would it be in Israel? Or would it be in the United States of America? How many of you would think like United States of America? Man, we got don't we have some we have some huge mega churches? I mean, when I turn on the TV, I see Joel. <laughs> Seems like we're growing. <coughs> Hi, friends. There's no hell yeah there is joel um here's what's kind of interesting to me how, well how many of you would say the sedan i say the Sudan's fastest okay how about israel actually what i did is i put these in order the fastest growing church in the world today in terms of christianity is in iran there are more conversions happening in iran per capita than anywhere in the world you know why? Because Iran is what? It's Islamic. Islam brings no hope. And so when you, when you begin to speak to Islamic, Islamic people, and you say, who is Allah? He is a God who demands. You will live this way. Oh, what if I don't? Well, if you don't live this way, then you will not be with Allah well, I've tried to live this way, but I don't seem to be able to, then you will be condemned by Allah. What if I do live this way? Well, is it a sure thing? Am I going to be with him? Maybe. He may receive you. He may receive you. When you come to Islam with Jesus, you come with a whole different message, the gospel. You come with a gospel that says, guess who Jesus is? Jesus is one who loves you, who wants to have relationship, relationship with me, That sounds different, well it is different, but it's what Jesus wants, relationship with you forever. And guess what, it's not about what you do, it's about what he's done on the cross for you. That's hope, because people know I can't do it. I can't do the law, I need hope. And so in Iran, of all places, on the globe today, Christianity is the fastest growing. The Sudan, unbelievable. Guess what's happening? God is growing, his church. You know why? Because there are ears that hear. We need God. Uh, When we go, for example, to to where you all grew up, the Nuba Mountains, there's death. There's Islamic forces. We will kill you for your faith. Right? And uh, what, what do the people say? Okay, I will die for my faith. I need the hope of Jesus Christ. When the Christians are killed, there's a God who's working through that to say to people, guess what? These people may die physically, but they know they will live forever with God. That has impact, and in the Sudan, Christianity is growing. You know, I always tell I always tell pastors um, in our in our in our little church body, uh, I'll say to them, Hey, how, how many how is baptism going? How many are you having baptisms in your church? If you have a church with no baptisms, guess what you have? You, you got a you have a problem, right? And, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the issue for me, is in our church body, the, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, I can't even begin to tell you of our 6,500 churches that are scattered across the United States, how many of them report in, we had exactly zero baptisms this year. I want to faint. I want to say, well, where is your lampstand? What is going on? Now, I also have to be extremely careful because I, I, th- I, counted a, I counted a blessing. One of the blessings of, of this, this local particular church is in the last three years, no fewer than one baptism a week right here. Go to the sedan, and you may have hundreds of people that say we want to be baptized this week. There's life. There's the fire of the Spirit working. Something happens when a church says, we're not going to be dependent upon our, our strategies, or our ability, we're dependent upon the Spirit of God, we will follow after Him, we will depend upon, upon Him. Israel, who would have thought that the church of Jesus Christ is growing faster in Israel today than it is in the United States per capita, but it is. You know why? The Jews who abandoned the faith in the time of Jesus continue to do that to this day, to the degree... That when you meet up with the modern-day Jew and try to talk to them about Jesus Christ, listen—they don't—they don't even believe that there's life after death. You just die. That's it. And so when you bring the hope of Jesus Christ, we're now in a new way bringing back what St. Paul brought to the Jews of his time. The Jews are becoming—the Jews are becoming what? I want that zeal back that we had. The lampstand. The lampstand is is the Spirit of God. We want that. We desire that. And really, what I find myself asking the question is what will it take in the United States of America? Has, Has God gotten to a point where He's looking at the church in the United States and saying, if you won't hear, I'll go to Iran. If you won't listen, I'll go to Sudan. If you won't listen, I'll go to Israel. Seriously? Israel? Yes, Israel. Why? Because I desire that you return to your first love. Look at verse 11 again. It's a key verse because it's got a word in it that just kind of stands out to me. Uh, verse 11, he says, I asked, did they stumble? No. Uh, in order that they might, by, might fall by no means, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel, I bet your English Bible says jealous, does it? It's not the word. Yeah, it's not the word here. The actual term here isn't jealous, it isn't even envy, it's this, ze, zeal, on fire. What was it that caused the Jewish church at, the, at its beginning? To say we're a light to lighten the Gentiles. We're a city set up on a hill. You know what it was? It was dependency upon God. We depend upon God. When they lost that dependency, they lost their lampstand. And I think in in the American church today, one of my great questions is, is it possible that America has lost its lampstand, its dependency upon God, and that part of what God is doing in our midst right now is he's saying, I'm calling you back to dependency upon me. Um, go to verse 13. He says, Now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. He says, um, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews zealous and thus save some of them. Paul never loses sight of, of the people that he loves. He, he himself was Jewish, right? And, and now he's become a follower of Jesus Christ. He I would love to be able to save some of them. Verse 15, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Uh, it's almost a play on, on words, by the way, because the Sadducees did not believe uh, in the resurrection at all. And Paul plays on those words and says, you know what? Your acceptance of Jesus would mean life from the dead. Uh, verse sixteen, if the dough offered as its first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump and if the root is holy, so are its branches. True Israel is the church of jesus christ it's it acts like dough uh, it, it is meant to leaven the entire loaf right it 's the root it 's that dependency upon Jesus Christ uh, for salvation and and so what Paul is pointing to is um, uh, the, the fact that, that the root is still there has always been present. Uh, verse 17, if some of the branches were broken off, i.e. The, the, the Jews that are unbelieving, and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in amongst the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Okay, so he's speaking to the Gentiles. Um, when you go into Israel, or you go into Rome and the Middle East, a lot of olive trees, right? And sometimes they shoot shoot off, and you'll have little shoots. They're not cultivated. And what he's saying is, you take a real olive tree and its root, and it's this picture. It's a picture of what? Olive oil is what lit the lamp in the temple. And so he's saying, rooted in Jesus Christ, the church grows up like an olive tree. This is the Jewish church. By the time of Jesus now, branches are being broken off. You no longer are believing. The wild shoot of the Gentiles. You're like a wild shoot. Now you're being grafted in. You're becoming part of Israel. It's kind of back to our question in chapter 12. Who or what is Israel? It is all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. But he's saying don't be arrogant towards the root. Don't be arrogant. Don't, don't get to that place where you're saying, well, we we have God, and now the Jews no longer have him. Always operate with the desire to bring even the Jews back to faith. Um, I'm just going to hit one more piece, and then we'll close that. It says, then you will say, branches were broken. I'm in verse 19. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief but you stand fast through faith. So do not be proud, but fear. Fear God. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. I think that again, that's the church in America today. Why are we why should you think you will be any different than Israel? If you lose your dependency upon God, he breaks off the branches. He removes the lampstand. He acts in a hard way to call you back to himself. He says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. God is both. He's kind. He's merciful. He's severe. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Kindness here uh, being, I continue in my dependency upon his mercy. Otherwise, you too will be cut off And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. Um, So in this section, and it gets a little bit tricky to to read it, what God is doing is taking us back, I think, all the way to what, what John is writing here. He's reminding us that the church, when it loses its dependency upon the Spirit of God, loses its ability to serve in the way God has called his church to serve. What does it mean then for the church to say our most important piece of furniture? It's not the organ. It's not the building. It's not how soft the chairs are. It's our lampstand. It's our dependency upon the spirit of God. Let's close with that. Lord, as we uh, close out this morning, I think what sticks in my head is a picture of the globe. When I was little, I'd spin it around. There we are, America. Lord, we called ourselves a Christian nation. A Christian nation. Today, Lord, amongst severe evil, whether it be abortion or some of the abominations sexually that are going on, I think that you are at work even as Isaiah says through fires and earthquakes and the crying out of a world that says return, come back to me Lord God as we watch what's happening in Iran and Sudan and even Israel let it remind us of what it means to return to our zealousness to become a church that has fire again a fire that's born not of our, our own doing, our, our, our programs, or our, our greatness, but a fire that's born of a love for you. Give us that love, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and uh, be with you in the week ahead. I thank you so much for coming here this morning.